Okay, so tonight is the second in this series of talks here on the third Thursday on the heart practices. Uh, a few months ago, I talked about Meta and an overview of the heart practices, and I'll be going in upcoming months through the rest of them, as well as some um, some additional practices in in addition to the core for Brahma Viharas. So just as a short overview, I gave a fuller overview about the Brahma Viharas in general um, in the first talk. Uh, but as a refresher, these Brahma Vihara means either divine abode or sublime abiding of the heart. And these are um, the, these practices are practices that help us purify the heart. So just as the Samatha practice, the focused attention is purifying the mind stream and the uh, Vipassana, the open monitoring practice is purifying our view of reality. Uh, this, these practices purify the heart and, um, and they're also in the natural response to a heart that's unhindered. And one of the things about this category of practice, uh, is that I've found that in some ways it's gotten a bit marginalized within, within Buddhism to where it's taught as like a side practice that you just do, you know, it's not like a real practice, you know, like the other ones or, or that it's, uh, something you're just doing to support the other practices. Um, a lot of times it's taught as a mantra or it's taught, um, not really in the technical way that it has the same level of substance and potential for our, um, ability to stay in the present moment as, as any other category of practice. And I found that I've been working with people doing this for 16 years. And before that was working with people um, in other walks of life that if we look at what takes us out of the present moment, oftentimes it's pain in the heart, you know, that we can't be with the present moment because something actually hurts. And so doing these practices really allow us to be able to be present with the human condition, either within our relationship with ourselves or with others or the world in general, in such a way that the heart can really become strong and able to stay in the present moment for just about anything. And these four practices really cover almost all of the human condition. Almost any situation is covered by one of the four. Oftentimes, um, it's just taught as metta alone, and that is within Buddhism, metta is considered one of the four protected meditations and is taught alone in that way. But I found that it's really powerful to do all four and to consider all four as a set, that there's a lot more power in them when they're understood together and uh and they really support and integrate with each other in some ways that doesn't happen if we're just you know, doing them individually. And so they are the four metta, which is loving kindness, which I already talked about, karuna, compassion, I'll talk about next time, mudita, which is empathetic joy, and upeka, which is equanimity. And I'll also be doing uh, one or two talks on um, uh, forgiveness and the non-dual aspect of the brahviharas and also probably gratitude. Um, so these are really, um, they're part of the Samatha path. Uh, 
in Buddhism, and they can be done as concentration practices that lead all the way up into the different levels of, of concentration. I won't be getting into that, but a lot of times people don't realize that that's true. And um, and these practices, they can also be wonderful antidotes to uh, difficult things arising in the other practices like Vipassana and Samatha. Uh, and are are referred to frequently as antidotes to things that come up. So they can also be used really skillfully in that way. And they, you know, they help us develop a certain kind of wisdom to um, to life circumstances, you know, and uh, they, if we do them deeply, we can really see the places where the heart is hindered. When the heart is unhindered, these naturally arise spontaneously. So part of the cultivation that we're doing in this, in this as a practice is to both allow for that more freely, but also to see what's in the way of that arising of these um, qualities of the heart to arise spontaneously. So mudita then is the Pali word, which means empathetic joy. And um, as with all of the Brahmaviharas, I'll just give you kind of the technical overview of how the practice is done. Oftentimes, you know, I'll hear these practices taught as like a mantra where the word is the object or somebody I'll hear sometimes like uh, something like generate metta. That's the practice with metta to generate metta. Well, based on what, you know, so there is actually an object in these meditations, just like every other kind of Buddhist meditation out there. And and they're designed to bring us into the present moment, which, in my opinion, is what all um, authentic meditations are doing in different ways. And so the object in um, this practice is always the object is a person who has something going on with them. And in this case, it's a person who's been, who has experienced good fortune. Something has happened to them and we're happy for others good fortune. So, uh, when we don't do, this is the only one of the Brahmiharas we don't do for ourselves. When we're doing it for ourselves, it's the gratitude practice and, uh, I'm most likely I'll be talking about that separately, but it's a little different category. But this is a practice we're really doing for others who are having good fortune. And um, even for people who might be our our competitors, you know, or people that we don't like or, or what in the old days was called the hated person or the difficult person, you know, it might be easier to feel uh, happy for a good friend um, than obviously than somebody that we um, don't really care for we feel maybe doesn't deserve it so uh, it part of what is happening with this practice is cutting through judgments about who should have what and one of the big things that this practice can um, bring up is um, comparing mind and competition where you know, even if we're doing somebody that we love and care about, that we have a pretty, you know, clean and easy relationship for, there can still be a sense of competition that comes up or wishing that we had that thing or um, even just comparing, 
comparing mine. So this practice, I think more than any of the other three Brahmiharas, really helps us work with that comparing mind of uh seeing how that can come up with mudita, even if we don't want the thing that is making the other person happy, just the happiness alone can make us feel a certain kind of envy. So envy is one of the, one of the things that gets worked with mudita. Um, mudita and karuna kind of guard each other. So there's a way that they work together um, and they help us from being lopsided where we're going too far in the buoyant direction or too far in the, you know, difficult direction. Mudita can uplift Karuna and Karuna keeps Mudita from being sort of out of touch where we're only looking at, you know, what's going well. Um, so in Mudita then, uh, this again, it's empathetic joy. The object then is the person. So it's like an onion. All the Brahmaviharas, we can really think of them like an onion that has different layers. So in some ways, they're a little more complicated than the other categories of practice. And for Mudita, someone, a person and their happiness or good fortune are the object. So when we consider what is the object of the practice, it's that person and their good fortune, the good thing that is happening to them. So that is the object of the meditation is, is them. And that's where we start is, is being in contact with them and their, their good fortune. And then the next layer, as with all of the Brahmiharas, is the phrases. So the phrases aren't the object. The phrases are a support. So just like with Samatha, the counting is a support. And with Vipassana, the noting is a support. In Vipassana, we don't want the word to be the object. The noting, if for those who use noticing, is just helping us be in contact with the object. And it can be dropped at some point if it's getting too clunky, just like the, the counting and samatha is helping us notice when we're off of the, the breath. So the the phrases with the Brahmiharas are a support. So it's, you know, a lot of times I'll hear people say, well, it's so dry just repeating these phrases over and over. Well, yeah, it is dry because that's not the object. The object is the person and their good fortune. And when the heart is unhindered, when we see someone who's having, who's happy, who's enjoying themselves, the natural response is like, wow, I'm really happy for them. You know, like if we see a child out playing in a yard and they're just going from one thing to another, so excited about what they're discovering, you know, or, or a dog rolling on the ground on its back, you know, with his feet in the air. And, you know, you look at that and you can't help but just be joyful going, wow, you know, that is just a picture of happiness and joy. And that's really what Mudita is pointing to is this natural response of the heart when it's unhindered that when we see someone else having good fortune, enjoying themselves, we it's almost like it's contagious. And that's one of the nice things about Mudita is that we can sort of get a contact, you know, hit off of the other person when we're happy for them, it can become contagious or we can, we can almost have as much joy as they do if, if the heart isn't hindered. 
And that's really one of the lovely things about, um, about Mudita. So I'll give you the traditional phrases and then some alternate phrases. So, um, the traditional phrase is, may this good person continue to be happy and content. So, you know, we're being in touch with their goodness, which is the object in metta is the person and their goodness, their inherent goodness. So there's a little bit of the resonance of that, but may they continue to be happy and content. So, you know, we're not, one of the things about the Brahma Viharas that also has um, happened, I think over time, or I hear it a lot, is that we, it's, it's said a lot of times as if our practice is for them. So like in the case of Mudita, we're not doing this so that their happiness continues. That is not the point. This isn't some like magical thing where now we say it and now their happiness continues longer. I mean, if it happens, that's wonderful. And there may be some kind of a uh, uh, way that, you know, within the non-separation that our wishes for them can have benefit. But this is a practice for our own heart. We do all of the Brahma Viharas so that our heart can be unhindered. That is the purpose. So just to be clear there, like a lot of times, and there's nothing wrong with this, but just from a technical standpoint with the practice, it's important to be clear, like, well, somebody will be suffering or, you know, having a hard time and will say, oh, I'll do metta for you. And that's a lovely thought, but we're not doing the metta like if a friend is having a medical situation and now we're like beaming waves at them so their illness goes away. That's not the purpose of practice. And I'll talk about Tonglen next time when I get into the compassion. This is for our own hearts to be unhindered. So just to be clear about, you know, what we're really doing in the practice. Some alternate phrases for mudita. May your good fortune continue, may it increase, may it never wane, may your happiness not diminish, or I'm happy for you, I'm happy for your happiness. So, you know, there's just that sense that like if if a friend came and, and was sharing some exciting news that, you know, the response from the heart that's unhindered is, wow, I'm, I'm really happy for you. That's wonderful. So uh we can use our own phrases. So depending on the situation, different phrases might be more appropriate. It's completely fine to make your own phrase that's in the spirit of this. You don't have to use the traditional phrases at all. And I actually have a chart. Terry, is is my chart on the site? My chart with all the brown viharas and the phrases and what the object is and all that. Okay, I'll send that to you and then, you know, everyone can have it. And it's also, I believe, on my website. Um, so these are the phrases. So the object is the person and their good fortune. And then there's the sense of inclining. We're inclining towards being happy for them. So that's the next layer out. And then the last part of this that can happen is that we can actually start feeling in the heart a sense of Mudita, a sense of this empathetic joy that, wow, I, I feel joyful just knowing that you're so happy, you know, that is an actual feeling. And that is a byproduct. It's not like we just sit down with a blank piece of paper and go like generate Mudita. 
well, what's it based on? You know, this is a natural response to something that's happening. So that's the potential. Um, so just to equate this with other things in Buddhism, like in the Samatha practice and in any concentration practice, in Vipassana as well, we can have what's known as the jhana factors arise. So these are byproducts of the practice. So um, the feeling of mudita is is a byproduct or a response to being in contact with somebody who is who is having good fortune or is having some good things happen in their life. So uh, with all of the brahmiharas, there's a what's known as the near enemy and the far enemy. And the near enemy is something that can be kind of a little bit similar, but isn't the actually mudita. So with this one, we can get into, into comparing. That is really one of the big ones with mudita. Even if it's somebody that we don't have a very complicated relationship, you know, the more complicated the relationship, the harder it is to really feel joyful when somebody else is having good fortune. But like with mudita, oftentimes it can, it can trigger things the practice can trigger things like sibling rivalry, you know, or um, uh, our own patterns around being competitive, you know, or, or difficult experiences we've had in life where, you know, somebody was better than we were. We didn't get as far as we wanted to as a, in, a, in school and athletics or in the arts or other things that we were trying to accomplish, it can trigger a sense of comparing mind. And um, so that is something to look to look for. Like um, I was in the meditation at the beginning, I was thinking of somebody I know who's out in the wilderness doing these beautiful hikes, and I'm going to be there doing these hikes with the person in a few weeks. And I realized I was kind of wishing I was there doing the hikes, you know, being out in nature. And I thought, no, it's not about me. That's a, that's a form of comparing mine. Why can't I just be happy for him being out there? Why do I have to think about me being out there? You know, so even something like that, we're getting into comparing mind where, like, can we just have it be about them? Where we don't have to think about how we did that four years ago or how we wish we had done it or our thing we did that was like that, where it's really just about them. And we don't need to really even bring ourselves into the picture that we can just purely feel the joy for them and for what's happening. Another near enemy is um, insincerity in our good wishes, where, you know, somebody tells us and we're saying like, I'm really happy for you, you know, but inside we're kind of thinking, well, they don't deserve that. You know, they, somebody else was really better, should have gotten that promotion instead of them or, you know, something. So this is, again, it's something to, to watch for. And there may be even truth, like in a work situation where somebody got a promotion and you feel someone else deserved it, or even if it's not you, someone else deserved it. And this is the chance for us to, um, to work with the, with the judgment that comes with that or to a sense of being fake in the, um, in the good wishes and to have that sense of, uh, it's, it's like a, it's, it's a fakeness in the good wishes. 
And then the last near enemy that's traditionally talked about is grasping for the pleasant. So where we're, you know, wanting to keep that mudita going, like what if the person, you know, like, for example, say you have a friend who's in a new relationship and they're all excited, you know, and you've met the person they're with and you just think this is not going to last, you know, but can you still be happy for them that that right now they're happy. Maybe it won't last. Maybe it will last. But, you know, we don't have to grasp for the pleasant that this is going to go on forever. Everything's impermanent. Even the person's good fortune is going to be impermanent, you know. So can we just be happy for them that they're happy right now and that this is um this is something that's important to them? Or, or sometimes it's not something that would make us happy. Maybe we even have judgment about what it is that's making them happy, you know, that it's something that we think is superficial or we don't think is maybe it's something that's fleeting even. I had somebody ask me this when I gave this talk a while back where they said, well, I, you know, I know that the the thing they're happy about is is kind of, in my view, superficial and it's fleeting and they're in three weeks they're going to, you know, it's not going to be meaningful to them. Well, that could be true, but they may not have the Buddhist perspective that all these things are impermanent. And there's also a beauty in the fact that things don't last forever. And can we just appreciate like flowers? You know, I often will have flowers. I love flowers. I had an orchid on my desk for a couple of weeks and um, I was using it as an example of this, of impermanence, but there's something about the human condition where the fact that things don't last forever can also be beautiful because we value them more. Like with flowers, part of why we love flowers so much is they don't last very long. So even if whatever's making the person happy is going to be fleeting, we can still um, feel mudita for them for the happiness that they're having right now. So those are the near enemies, just things to be, you know, feeling into, <clears throat> is the mudita really pure? And then the far enemy, so this is kind of the opposite of whatever the Brahmihara is. The far enemy of empathetic joy is, is envy or jealousy, where we're really, we want it. You know, we want that thing, and either we want it for ourselves or we think they shouldn't have it. Um, or they don't deserve it, you know, that kind of thing where we're really uh, a, an actual defilement for us is coming up as a result of that person's good fortune. And, um, you know, this can be true. Envy and jealousy can come up even with people we really love and care about, even like a sibling or, or a spouse or, you know, a significant other. If, they're having maybe a huge success or or joy in some part of their life that is really not happening very well for us. There can be a sense of that. And, you know, it's just something to work with. Um, having, letting that person who we're close to have their own space to have that experience and, and not have it be about us. It's really, this is where the comparing can come in. And, when it's somebody like the difficult person where maybe like our least favorite politician has something like, you know, a lot of wealth or power 
or things like that that we feel they don't deserve or shouldn't have. And, um, and it's not to say that if there's harm happening out there that we, that mudita means that we don't take action to stop harm happening. But when we get to the difficult person, that can be a place where it really is quite quite hard to see them having good fortune because we think they don't deserve it, especially if it's somebody who's doing doing harm. Um, but it's not about them. What it's about is our own heart and our heart being hindered and being in a separation from the reality of, of non-separation. So just doing mudita when we get to someone like the difficult person, it doesn't mean that because we're doing mudita for a difficult person uh, who may be doing harm out there that we are um, condoning their actions. We're doing mudita, and this is where it's important to remember the purpose of the practice is for our own heart to be unhindered. It's really about us. It's not even about them in a certain way. So that's where the practice can get challenging is when we get to um, people like the difficult person. So then if we're doing one sitting, like usually something like mudita is often a practice we'll do in daily life when something's happening that is relevant to this, when we're either just you know, in contact with somebody we know having good fortune and wanting to just spend a sitting you know, feeling mudita for them, or when we're finding that one of these uh, envy or jealousy or comparing mind is coming up. And this can happen a lot, like on retreat. I just got back in August from teaching the two-week retreat. And, um, you know, a lot of material comes up when we're on retreat. And sometimes, you know, I think everybody at that retreat needed one or more of the Brahma Viharas at different times and material may come up where we realize that we hit a pain point where there is something like envy or jealousy or comparing mind that's happening. And this would be a time to bring in Mudita as a way of actually working with that um, place that is needing to be digested with some patterning that um, that is coming up for, you know, for being worked with and cleared out. So that's another time that we could do mudita. But if we're doing the Brahman Biharas intensively, like um, sometimes people will do a month where they do one week on each Brahma Vihara or do a month on each Brahma Vihara, then we get into actually going through the categories of beings. So we don't, this is only when we don't do for ourselves, but we can do the gratitude practice. When we are having good fortune, that's when it turns into the gratitude practice where we're feeling a sense of gratitude, not to anyone, but just gratitude generally for the good things in our life. And that that is a practice in itself. So I'm actually going to talk about that separately. So the sequence then for Mudita is is a start with a friend, with somebody who it's easy to be happy for. So we always start with the easiest category. And um, I really suggest that if, if a person is taking, is going to do the Brahma Viharas more intensively, that you ahead of time think about one or two people, that you don't just like go a laundry list through 15 people, 
that you actually go deeper with a smaller number of people because that's really what's going to work our own heart. Because if you're sitting there for 30 minutes, you know, one day doing mudita for a certain person, that's when we can see both the places where the heart is unhindered and the place where it's a little bit hindered, you know, where it, we can see the things that can get in the way from just the purity of feeling, um, you know, joyful for someone else's joy. So we start with the, the friend, uh, or the beloved person. Um, normally, a family member is going to be more complicated. So usually we work up to family members. Siblings can be a big um, category in Mudita because, you know, as children, when we have siblings, usually, you know, maybe we were the one of our siblings was the favorite child and there was a sense of them always getting the good stuff and, you know, us maybe not getting it, or maybe we were the favorite child. And now a sibling is having all the success and it's different than the family pattern. So, you know, all of these can be, there's a lot of complications that can come up in family dynamics, not just siblings, but other relatives as well. So we start with the someone who's easy and fairly uncomplicated. Then we go to the benefactor. So the benefactor is somebody, a teacher, or, you know, could even be like the Dalai Lama, somebody that you don't know personally, but somebody who's benefited you where the relationship's very clean and un, uncomplicated. Then we get to the neutral person. So this would be somebody like, you know, the, the, your mail carrier or the somebody, a checkout person at a store you go to regularly or a neighbor that you don't really know that well. Um, people like that. And, um, you know, that can be somewhat uncomplicated, but it's, sometimes it's a little harder to get in touch with the empathetic joy for a neutral person because we don't, you know, we don't know what's going on in their life as much. Um, and then we go to the difficult person. So for Mudita, difficult person could be actually be a loved one you know, where there's some complicated dynamics happening that, you know, we might need to work with in some way to really um, digest whatever is um, happening there. And then the last category is all beings, where we do it in a more general way. I really encourage people not to jump straight to all beings, because with all beings in any of the categories, it's very easy to get so general that we don't really work the places where the heart's hindered in ourselves because it's so, you know, it's, it's impersonal in a way. Um, so that is the sequence that we would do if we're doing it intensively, but it's fine doing the mudita practice to just to do it for one person for like a whole sitting is usually a, a good way to really go more deeply into um, both where our heart is, is unhindered and where there may be some, uh, some, you know, blockages to being able to just freely feel that empathetic joy. So I'll go ahead and stop there. Let me just see if there's anything else in my notes here. Yeah, so I think I've covered pretty much everything on Mudita and I'll open it up now for um, questions or comments. Hi. Yeah. Hi, Steve. Hi. Hi. Uh, hi. So, um, 
I actually, in some ways, find Mudita cha- the most challenging at times of the four Brahma Viharas. Yeah. And I want to share an experience that I was very confused about that's related to this. And I'll just be very open about it. Um, I just happened to be watching PBS NewsHour after the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. And this woman came on who was head of a, uh, you know, um, a uh, pro uh, anti-abortion um, organization. And she was so elated and, and she was articulate. And I could tell that in her heart, her convictions were, you know, right in line with her values. And it was the antithesis of my values. And, you know, it went on to that, you know, I think that, you know, what she's saying is harming other people, but I didn't want to have ill will in my heart and I could see how joyful she was. And I just, Mudita came up and I got very confused. And so what do you do in situations like that? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good question. And it's, it does get complicated. You know, it really does. Yeah. Um, Well, again, just to, I'm just saying this to reiterate it because it's a way of understanding the practice in a, in a technical way. First of all, I think it's lovely that Mudita arose spontaneously in you, even though you really disagree with what she's about. You know, it shows in some ways, I think that your heart is unhindered when you are in contact with somebody's joy. You know, so, so in a way, I mean, I could, I felt her joy. Right, right. So this is what I was saying about there. It's almost like contact high that we can have for another's happiness. But then the mind comes in and, and I'm, you know, there can be some spirits. There's a lot of room for spiritual super ego when it comes to this. Where it's like, no, I shouldn't be happy for her because I disagree with everything she's about, you know, which is true. And, and you, there's nothing to say you have to agree with what she's, why she's happy or with her stance to that. And you, you may even be an activist when it comes to, um, women's right to choice, you know, and, um, and that would make it even harder. You know, to, to, um, understand how Mudita could have arisen for you so spontaneously like that. So it's not about her. It's about you and your unhindered heart. Right. So that's really when we see this as a practice and also you doing it isn't like giving money to her cause. You feeling mudita for her. It's not woo-woo now she's going to win more cases. You know, that's not what's happening. You know, like there might be a tendency to go, oh, my gosh, if I feel mudita for her, maybe that she'll win more cases or, you know, her cause will win more. No, that's not, you know, so this is where there's been a lot of confusion out there about the Brahma Viharas being about the other person. Like now I'm going to do meta for you and that's going to help you get rid of your illness or something, you know. So this is where from a technical standpoint in Buddhism, these are expressions of an unhindered heart that we are cultivating. They're not really about the other person, about affecting the other person. So, you know, what what did you feel? What were some of your confusions about? 
that happening so that we can really understand what was going on for you? Well, uh, you know, honestly, I didn't want to feel joy for her in some (laughs) some way. Right, right. Because, because I think that her actions or her cause is doing a lot of damage. And so, look, I mean, I, I'm very invested in this practice. I don't want to have ill will in my heart and I'm trying, you know, so that's right. You know, I don't want to have ill will and I'm having these thoughts and, you know, and yet I can see her joy. So it just got very right for me. Right. And, you know, a lot of people do feel that for a lot of people, Mudita is the hardest one. So you're not alone in that. Um, you know, they each have their own reasons for being hard, but the, what you're talking about is one of those reasons. You know, there's nothing to say that you don't go out the next day and go in a march against this woman's group. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you're perfectly welcome to do that. There's nothing that says that that is not inconsistent, is consistent with Buddhist principles. You can absolutely go out and still take action against what she's doing, but you know, your heart being unhindered and feeling a sense of that. It's when our hearts are um, sensitive and attuned, um, they respond in contact with others. And this is really where I'll, I do this a lot, but I'll just do it again because this example, it, it shows what I'm going to say is that this is the picture of reality from the perspective of the me is, you know, I'm holding up a piece of paper and there's four fingers and they look separate and that's the normal consensual reality. But when we get deeper in our practice, we see there's a deeper truth than the truth of separation. And there's a truth of non-separation and whether that is unity or emptiness depends on your experience and the traditions and Buddhism, we emphasize emptiness, but a lot of people still feel the unity and, but it's about non-separation in all cases. And when we're really in touch with non-separation, we can't help but have contact with other beings experience. You know, just like with with somebody suffering, maybe we don't even like that person. Maybe we actively dislike that person. But if they're suffering and our heart is open, we're still going to feel compassion for them. I mean, have you ever watched the movie Dead Man Walking? Which, no. Well, it's about this really awful murderer on death row and this this nun goes to him and, and she... Oh, yeah, yeah, of course I have. Yeah, and she is compassionate because her heart's open. Right. And it ends up changing him. That's not why she went into it. But, you know, this is this is part of why it's hard, why awakening is hard. Because to live more down here in our deeper nature, what do we do with somebody who we have opposing views with? And yet they're happy and we feel mudita for them. Well, from down here, that isn't such a hard question to answer because you're in contact with her as a, as a being, even if you don't like her. 
or you disagree with her, you know, you think she's, I mean, she is harming people. You're not, you're not condoning what she's doing and her work. You're just, you're seeing that your heart is open. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's about your practice. Right. And you can still disagree and go and, and take action to stop what she's doing with that issue. It was more the feelings that came up of the, the confusing feelings. Of- right. Right. Well, that's why it's important to really see that, that it's at response of the unhindered heart and you can still have your wisdom. This is why, you know, all of the four categories, the heart practices, the samatha, the insight, the self-transcending, when we do all four, we're more rounded out. So we need to have the wisdom to know what wise action is in a case like this as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the question. I mean, it's, it is, this is why these practices are really actually quite meaty. When we do the heart practices, they're meaty. They're not, you know, a lot of times people think they're, they're, oh, they're just fluff. They're easy. No, if you're really doing them, there's a lot there that is, there aren't easy answers to, but ultimately it comes down to your own ability to be present in the moment without turning away and your own unhindered heart or mind or um, view of reality. I, I don't want to suffer. So. Right. Yeah. And you don't want ill will. And you can see that in that right. moment you didn't have ill will. And you can still go and, and disagree with what she's doing and try to stop it without ill will. You know, we're going, if we take action, political action or other things, we're going to be in a lot better place if we're not coming from reactivity. Okay. So maybe one more question if there are any. And then... um and then we can do a sitting. Any other questions or comments? Yeah. Is it is it Bobby? Am I saying your name right? Yes. Hi, Tina. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you, Bobby. <laughs> and thank you, Steve, for bringing that up, because this is my biggest problem. I'm just so judgmental. I am right on it. And it is really hard. It's really hard to get out of when you're into it. It's much easier to avoid going into it. And my late husband, oh, God, he was a pro at this. We were living in Hanksville, Utah. And everybody liked him. Whenever people were talking, he had a habit of just nodding his head. And these people would be talking about the most bizarre things. And he'd be standing there shaking his head. Well, we get home and get so upset with him. Like, why were you agreeing with them? No, I wasn't agreeing with them. I was just shaking, nodding my head that I was hearing them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Such, such an interesting distinction. And I so wish that some of that would have rubbed off onto me. And um, especially in this moral climate, I don't want to be close or friendly with a lot of people that have thoughts. I don't want them transferring onto me. So it gets really 
difficult. And I understand what you're saying about the practice. If you can just get past this, the part that I'm having trouble with, which I think is bigger than than what Steve is is having a problem with. Um, yeah, yeah. That was it's, a more it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's so lovely. Your your late husband had such an ability to be present no matter what people were saying and to to listen to to just, you know, listen openly to them. But we're all different. You know, you are a different person than he is. And, you, you know, and I'm sure there are things you have that he admired as well. So, um, so really the judgment, I mean, this is one of the big things that gets in the way of, of all the, all of the Brahmi Viharas of an open heart. I mean, judgment is going to shut down the heart really quickly. And, um, so, you know, I would, it goes, judgment is, it's such a core thing that puts us into separation that it goes across mm-hmm. all the categories of practice, not just the heart practices, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would encourage you in doing Vipassana to really let yourself feel the judgment and feel what's good about it. You know, if you can take off the, the, criticism because judgment it's painful but a lot of times it feels kind of good and like there's a way that we can feel self-righteous and it feels good to just judge them because they're wrong you know and and uh and we like that and and there's a way a lot of times judging people is a way to not feel how powerless we are to stop them Mm -hmm. And we'd rather feel the judgment than the powerlessness. I think so. Also, I wanted to let you know that I named my dog Brahma Viharas. Oh, <laughs> love him. He's a monster most of the time. Oh, that's but, lovely. You know, he does. He has. He has. He's all heart. <laughs> yeah, dogs are great reminders of of big hearts, big open hearts. Yeah, so when you're working with this practice, you know, if you, whatever, and this goes for everyone, whatever um, hinders your heart from feeling open, you know, don't start in the hardest place. Don't start with the people like what Steve was talking about, where, you know, you really have opposing views. Start with the easy people. This is why in all of the practices, we start where it's easiest and then we work up to the hard ones. And, you know, this isn't to say you have to go out and socialize with people whose views you don't believe in. That's not what this is about. It's really about um, you cultivating your own open heart. And that's where something like judgment, if we really feel into it, like doing Vipassana, at first, if we take our own judgment of ourselves off for having judgment and just let yourself <laughs> feel it, it feels good at first. But then when we really feel under it, usually there's some kind of pain or there's some kind of avoidance of some, maybe some powerlessness or other things that are really hard to be with. It's a lot easier just to judge than to feel those. So this is where using Vipassana for something like that can be really um really beneficial i've also noticed when i engage in this behavior once i realize it oh the anxiety just pretty much knocks me over because then i realize what i'm doing 
Yeah, yeah. Well, if you can take off your own judgment of yourself and actually work with it in a way that you're curious about what it's doing for you. Um, and I, I have a whole talk on working with psychological material, a bunch of them on Dharma Seed that really get into more than I have time for right now about like how to work with some of this. Um, you can get under what, you know, if we start opening these things up and understanding them more then they can sometimes relax and, and mostly to also have compassion for yourself, you know, for this being a pattern that you have and it somehow it has served you, but now you're really wanting to have some freedom from it. And Buddhism has a lot of wonderful tools that can help you get some freedom from a pattern like that. That ultimately judgment, you know, it keeps us in separation and ultimately it doesn't feel good, even though we kind of like feeling self-righteous sometimes, you know. Thank you, Tina. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, so um, I'll take you now through the time we have left through a short guided um, mudita practice. So, uh, So go ahead and get comfortable. And hopefully you have somebody in mind. And it doesn't, you know, they don't have to have won the lottery. It can just be something, something small, like my, the person I know who's out having these wonderful hikes in nature and just enjoying it so much, I hope. Um, so, you know, think of the person and you can picture them. You might picture them enjoying whatever it is that is the good fortune that's bringing them happiness and see them and really let yourself be in touch with their enjoyment. And, and, you know, hopefully you've picked somebody that the easy one, we start with what's easiest. And then you can feel your wishes for them. And it could be, may your happiness continue. May it not diminish. Or I like that really simple direct phrase, I'm happy for your happiness. So whatever phrase works for you in this situation, you can just say that inwardly. So feeling your own inclination towards towards mudita, towards the joy that you feel in resonance with their happiness, regardless of what it's for, whether you agree with it or believe in it, you're you're feeling the contact that is a deeper reality of non-separation. you're inclining that way. And if you feel mudita coming in your heart, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine. That's why we call it a practice. It's that we're practicing. We don't have to feel it, but we're inclining the heart in that direction. And you might notice some, some hindrances or defilements, something that's in the way of that, comparing or, or, you know, envy or judging or any of the things we've talked about that might be in the way and then go back to the person and to their 
their happiness. And then using your phrase, I'm happy for your happiness. And then notice any sense of yourself wanting to get in there. Like what happened with my hiking. It became about me wanting to go hiking instead of about that person and their happiness. Just notice it. Try not to judge yourself. Just notice that it's there and see if you can come back to the person and and their happiness and and your, your genuine wishes for them to, uh, to be happy. Noticing what's going on in your own heart as you're doing this. Remembering these three kind of layers of the practice. Being in touch with the person, if you can picture them, that helps. I'm happy for your happiness. Feeling what's going on in our own hearts, whether it's there's freedom there, whether there's some covering up of that response. And this is where all the practice categories can support each other. If, if there's a block to it, you know, just being a little curious about, about that. Maybe there's some pain for ourselves there that's blocking the heart. And we can be in touch with that and have some compassion for ourselves as to why that's there, how it got there. And then when we're ready, coming back to the person. To our wish to be Have a a heart that is free, that doesn't have ill will, that can, can be open in more and more situations, not have to close. That's what we're cultivating here. Being in touch with our, our person who's having good fortune. Building our own capacity to be in touch with that. Be in touch with the fact that other people have good fortune. And can we stay in contact with that instead of having it shut down? May your happiness continue.
Okay, so I'll wish you all a good night and may your hearts resonate with the joy that's in the world because we all could use a little more joy these days. Be well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.